Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. Welcome back to another week of the Invisible Truths podcast. This week, I'm here with my brother from another mother, Leonard Matthews. <laughs> uh, Leonard is the founder of Peace Movement and a sales development rep with Sigster here in Indianapolis. So, Leonard, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, or I, I guess thank you for having me in your home. <laughs> Technically, we're in his house. <laughs> but, you know, you do what you can. Um, so also, we'll, how, how's it going, everybody on the other side? I know you guys, uh, you know, listen and stuff like that. So I always like to say hi. I think they said hi back. We, we can't hear them, but I have to trust that they said hello back right, to you. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Just let me know. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and, and jump in here. Um, one of the things I love about Leonard is his uh, drive and his desire to overcome whatever odds and obstacles are in front of him. Um, not only for himself, but he's got a vision for the impact that he can leave on the world and on future generations. Uh, and so I'm hoping we can dive uh, more deeply into that vision uh, in today's episode. So uh, starting out, uh, I want to touch base on what you think the most important lesson you've learned since graduating uh, college is. Yeah, that's a, a super tough question because uh, in college, you're supposed to learn the most about yourself. Um, and I think high school and college were almost the same thing for me, except I wasn't living with my parents. Um, you know, I pretty much had a job all throughout high school. I had a job, uh, you know, all, obviously all throughout college, played sports, same exact thing. There were just a couple minor tweaks. But the thing that I learned after college, because I was more so on my own and every single dollar I made went straight towards bills mm. and there was no, uh, you know, papers to be graded. Right. You know, school, it's it's pretty laxed i would say on on the consequences if you don't succeed mm-hmm. um but you know when you're going to a nine-to-five job or whatever it is every single day then your paycheck your food on the table your housing you know all that stuff um kind of rides on the decisions that you make and stuff like that but the biggest thing that i'm still learning is how to manage um other people's expectations mm-hmm. and as you already know like i'm a person who typically does not care at all about what other people think or at least I think that in my heart. Yeah. Um, but when it really comes down to it, if you got other responsibilities, um, if you're trying to stay in any kind of relationship, whether it's you know husband, wife, friend, mom, dad, like you still have to manage these expectations. Whether it's where do I spend my time, you know what job title do I have, um, you know did I make them happy? Did I have a good conversation? Did we spend enough quality time together? So that's something that I'm really trying to manage or figure out right now. Is like you know, how to manage other people's expectations on me and who I think I am and still kind of go along my path of what's best for me. Yeah, and I think that's something that at least I know I relate to and I'm sure almost anyone in our age demographic, any millennial listening uh, can relate to that as well. And and one of the last things you said really stood out to me, uh, talking about managing expectations of others versus 
who you think you are. And I'm doing a lot of work right now in trying to not only name who I am, but to, to understand what I want, how I want to exist in the world. And to do that, I'm having to dig up a lot of um, my past trauma because mm -hmm. there are just, it seems like an infinite amount of layers right. uh, of trauma there and the effects on my life and on the way I even think, the way I feel. Um, it, it is continuously compounding, right? And so there's, there's constant digging I've got to do to, to try to get to what is authentically me versus what is a response to some trauma or a resistance to the trauma repeating itself or, or what have you. And so what is your journey into self-discovery been like? What are some things you've had to wrestle with and how do you manage that journey responsibly for yourself? Oh man, there's so many things. So um in all transparency because that's that's where i like to be but like mm -hmm. you know one thing that's a huge like taboo topic is like my relationship with my parents mm -hmm. let's go specifically to my dad yeah. you know like a lot of people have trauma if they do, if they have daddy issues let's mm -hmm. just frame it as that um so one thing right now i'm always dealing with is you know how do i communicate with my dad because i don't mm -hmm. talk to him like at all mm -hmm. and is that a good thing for me is that a bad thing because i got a lot of friends who have great relationships with their dad and yeah. i'm even close to their dad like oh man i love your dad like let's go hang out with your dad but mine on the other hand like ah, i'm not too sure about that guy mm -hmm. you know um so it's trying to manage like is this good for me because in my opinion that is a very detrimental relationship to me mm -hmm. um so i'm trying to what i try to do at least right now is i'm trying to figure out all right what kind of feels right in the moment? I think I actually learned this from you on like, all right, is this serving me? Do I feel healthy after doing it? Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's some boundaries because you can do, yeah. you know, cocaine and that's not necessarily like serving you, <laughs> right. uh, but it may f make you feel good in the moment. So mm -hmm. probably look at a lot of what makes you feel remorse afterwards. Mm. You know, like if I make this mm. decision, how much remorse will I have? Mm. I might feel good in the moment, but am I going to feel better after? Yeah. 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 So um, thank you for naming that and, and um, for reminding the listeners that the invisible, that invisible truths in no way, shape or form uh, endorses the use of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Didn't mention anything else, but uh, cocaine right. is on the list. Right. <laughs> uh, and to my crack users, we're looking at you too. <laughs> um, but, in a, you know, in all seriousness, um, I think a lot of those discussions about naming if something is healthy or harmful comes back to a sense of one's core values. Uh, you know, we mm. think about corporations and businesses and nonprofits and them naming their core values and having mission statements. Mm. But I think sometimes we forget that we all also have core values, yeah. whether we consciously name them or not. We're living into them um, or they're at least existing on some level. And so are you able to name some of those guiding core values for you yeah yeah i don't know how, how many do you want me to to take a shot whatever at? you got three to five let's start there all right let's go with three okay. so number one is always transparency mm. um and i think that's a, a strength of mine but it also can be a weakness because i have to monitor like other people's comfortable mm -hmm. uh, comfortability when it comes to transparency because i am willing to share everything um to try to learn as much as I can about people, about myself, about life. Like there's so much to learn, but you can only learn it if you know more information. So, yeah. uh, yeah, one of my things is definitely transparency, like whatever you're feeling, whatever you think, like let's go ahead and flesh it out because we're probably going to learn from it and move on. Mm -hmm. Hard work, as you mentioned, I'm a big advocate of hard work. Um, 
being able to see a vision or something that you want and then to work for it. Hmm. Um, I guess hard work can look a lot different for a lot of other people. And I'm not just talking about work. For me, I go to work and I spend extra hours at work because I enjoy like the actual act of working. Yeah. Um, some people, it could be, hey, I want to be the best father, so I'm going to do everything I possibly can just to be at home so I can be with my kids. Yeah. Um, some people, it's like, hey, I want to be at home making sure that my house is in order, like physically in order. So mm -hmm. I think hard work is definitely a big one. And I'm going to try to give you a third one, uh, exploration or adventure. Mm. Yeah, that's something that I'm able to get into a lot more now than I did before is just like seeing what's out there. Yeah. Seeing what's new, whether it's a place, a person, a thing, whatever it is, like explore. Mm. Yeah, I like that. The um, transparency, I think, is one that resonates with me. Um, and it reminded me of something my counselor said a couple weeks ago. Uh, she told me that, so for me, I, I wouldn't call my core value transparency. I would call it authenticity. Okay. But I think they're pretty similar. Um, but she reminded me that authenticity is not the same as vulnerability. Hmm. And that really hit me because I, I pride myself in being authentic mm. on, on talking about and exploring issues other people are uncomfortable to talk about and explore. But that doesn't mean I'm always willing to be vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. That I'm always willing to expose myself, to expose my emotions. And so I've been really playing with that idea and trying to ask myself in any given moment, am I being authentic and vulnerable here? Or am I just being authentic yeah. or, or, or neither, you know? Yeah, I can agree with that for sure. Okay. <laughs> Say more about that. Yeah, I, could, I can definitely agree that vulnerability, I know that I was kind of like taught per se, mm -hmm. an unconscious, probably an invisible thing, but like taught from my culture that... Being vulnerable is not always the best thing. Mm -hmm. um, whether that's emotions while I'm playing, which yeah. was a big one, playing tennis. Yeah. Like, no, you don't show your emotions. That was a strategic thing. Or I got in trouble for, you know, anytime I got mad or cried or whatever mm -hmm. it was. So, like, now, like, being vulnerable, you got to be very careful because that's a sign of not even just weakness. Most people think it's, like, weakness. But for me, it's, like, trouble. Mm -hmm. Or um, if you're thinking about animals, like, then you're you're vulnerable to being threatened at that point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's so true. Uh, and I often think to myself, does it mean you have to accept a certain risk at being hurt? <laughs> 100%. Right? Every single time. And that's that's true in any relationship. Yep. Right? To be in a relationship is to to say, okay, this I'm letting this person in, therefore they can hurt me, mm -hmm. and I'm choosing to just let that be my reality. Yeah. And that's really hard to do. Yes, it is. You know? Yeah. And I, I, I think that most of the time I'm willing to take that risk mm -hmm. until, you know, I'm, I'm the person who's like, oh yeah, I'm going to trust you with everything mm -hmm. until you give me a reason not to. Like yeah. I'm, I'm dumb enough to give somebody like random my key. Like, yes, you can come to my house whenever you want to. Yeah. That's a vulnerable place physically right. to be in, not necessarily emotionally, but physically to be in. Mm -hmm. But I'm willing to do that simply because like I want to explore mm -hmm. different people. What is going to be your habit? Who are you as a person if you are coming over? What habits are you going to take after? Like, are you going to make my bed if you sleep in it? Are you going to replenish the food afterwards? Are you just going to sit there and, hey, I just need a place to stay, so I'm just going to sleep and I won't be in your hair? Like, yeah. Like, exploring, like, what about people hmm. kind of gets you there. Yeah. Uh, you heard it here first, y'all. Uh, we'll give out his address <laughs> at the end of the show, but he's opening up his crib. I will hand you my key is, is what I said, I think. 
We rewind it back. I think I said I will hand you my key, and not necessarily give you my address. This man's having an open house. <laughs> so come on over. Just bring a gift. Uh, yeah, but in all seriousness, no. Like I think that vulnerability is tough, and I'm not gonna say that I'm like willing to do that on an emotional level all the time. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think I try in like the physical way. Like, oh yeah, here's my key to my house. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I can buy more food. I yep. can probably get another apartment. I can call the cops if you did something wrong. Right. You know, the emotional side, like, nah, that's personal. It's yeah, that's hard. And, and that's that's where I was I was going. I was thinking about the triggers for me and like, um, you know, my fear, there's like a space within that I imagine I am, am protecting and it's only me, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and I work really hard to keep other people out or to make it so that people just are passing through briefly but mm-hmm. not staying. Um, which makes marriage very difficult, mm-hmm. by the yeah. way. Uh, and but and so so now that I know it's there, I'm trying to work on it. Um, but then I'm like, it means I've got to confront my deepest fears that I'll be uh, used, or that at some point people will see something and decide, oh, they don't love me, or they're just not going to stick around. Yeah. Uh, you know, and those are those are really hard things. The things that like the fears that move past what my conscious mind can rebut. Those deep, hmm. deep triggers that, that just create a physiological response before my mind can kick in and yep. say, oh, hey, hey, whoa, buddy, chill. Yep. And that's that's what I was going to say, too, is like sometimes you get in situations where you can't even control it. Mm-hmm. You know, you may want to say, oh, yeah, here's my boundary. But then like sometimes like, you know, with the marriage, like if you're attracted to this person mentally, physically or whatever, there are certain boundaries that are going to accidentally get pushed mm-hmm. simply because you're attracted to it. You mm-hmm. know, your heart maybe thinks before your mind. Yep. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. Is there like, this is something I think I've tried to do in mm-hmm. order to get more vulnerable and mm-hmm. not just transparent. Yeah. Um, are there, is there like a passageway maybe that you take? I have like layers that I try to give people like, oh yeah, here's this layer. You know, I'm going to be vulnerable in this way. I'm going to give you this piece of information. See how you treat it. I'm going to give you this piece of information, but it's always layers on like, I'm just going to see how, you know how vulnerable I can be with you or what level that you're that you're at. Do you have something like that? Yeah, I do. For me, it's a uh, mental test. So what Jake <laughs> <Yep. laughs> says, I know that knows me. Uh, what I'll do is I will drop a topic on them that is like, <laughs> not edgy for me, but I know edgier, edgy for most of the general public. Okay. And I'll just see how they respond, right? Do they react judgmentally? Mm. Are they taken off aback? Do they have any thoughts on it? Is it too taboo to talk about? And based upon their reaction to that topic, then I will decide, okay, they handled it well. I'll give them a little bit more next time. I'll actually add some emotion to it or, hmm. or share more of like the vulnerability behind my thinking or feeling around it and then see how they respond to that. And then, so it's like I'm just continuously giving them tests, right? Okay. And, and letting them choose if they're going to step into or kind of run away. But I'm always <laughs> on the lookout for that the warning signs and the red yeah, flags, you yeah. know? Is there a difference though between, because I love taboo topics. Mm-hmm. I literally, I sit down with people all the time. It's like, yep, time for a taboo topic. Yeah. <laughs> they, they know, you probably even know yeah. taboo topic time. Um, but is there a difference for you between like a taboo topic and actually being vulnerable in yourself? Because oh, Absolutely. Okay. And you have like after so many taboo topics, then it's like, all right, here's a personal piece or are those together? They can be together. So, you know, for instance, um, let's say I'll bring up... Um, Okay, if I'm talking to someone that I know is a Christian, for instance, I will just casually be like, you know, so um, I don't really think heaven or hell exists. Like, this afterlife mess, I'm not too sure what I think about it. And, and I'll see 
how they respond, mm-hmm. right? Or I'll say, yeah, the devil probably isn't real, or uh, Jesus didn't really uh, come back to life again, right? Something that I know will blow like <laughs> will 90% trigger. of people's minds, right, and trigger them. He's trying to trigger you guys. <laughs> uh, Bringing out the invisible truths. That's <laughs> that's that's what the, the goal is. That's all, right? Right. And, and so once they're, if they don't get triggered necessarily, mm-hmm. then I might throw in like, you know, why this belief in the afterlife impacted me or, or a good example I might say something like yeah I don't think God literally physically heals people uh, I just don't think that's possible and depending on how they react like that concept is the mental test but the the internal vulnerable gotcha. thing that I would say okay. is that when I was 15 I had these three friends whose mom was diagnosed with um, liver cancer right and we prayed and the church prayed for healing and I believed it and she died anyway and I was devastated um, and, and, and I can't imagine having to, to look into their faces again and tell them that their mom's going to be okay and to have mm. the church do that again only for them to lose their mom yeah. while in middle school or high school. You know, so, like, so that's the emotional vulnerable piece that I would share. Um, and so, so it starts with this idea and yep. then I'll, I'll have a, a Yeah, there's something behind it. it. Yeah. There's something behind it still. So it's not just a question. No. That makes sense. To anyone that talks to me, it's never just a question. <laughs> Please know that. <laughs> Well, the reason I was asking is because, like, politics, like, that's something that people mm. can be passionate about. Yep. But that's really just a question to see what side you're on, you know? Mm. Like, for me, I care about politics. Yep. I care about what's going on in the world. That's a question of, like, all right, cool. I disagree with you. You know, like, this is where we stand. Mm. But when it comes to maybe, like, religion for a lot of people, that's one that, like, definitely, like, hits in the core. And it's like, all right, man, like we need to talk this out so that yeah. you can get on my side. Yeah. But we, we need to talk this out so that we can find some kind of middle ground. You right. Know? That's interesting. Cause I would, I would put politics in the same category as religion for me. I think that most people would, but I'm saying, I think there's, I think there's, when you get into the topics of pol- like if you talk about abortion, mm-hmm. that's different from just talking about politics. Like mm-hmm. if you're saying, Hey, I'm a Democrat or a Republican because I like gun laws. Like, the stories behind that then gets into, it gets into the vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, yeah, if you, if you say, let's talk about like a, a topic that is just boring as ever, like Medicaid. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and so we might have differing opinions on if Medicaid should be expanded or not. Mm-hmm. But underneath those opinions is an emotion, life experience, like there are layers of vulnerability that are actually informing yes. this boring Policy view, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. But we don't often get there. We often exactly. just stay. Exactly. Up here. Whereas religion, it takes people immediately. Yeah. <laughs> immediately. Yeah. That's a that's a, a core belief. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, so one of the things that I did this week to practice being more vulnerable, I was I was at work a couple of days ago, um, and something triggered me and I just I felt like I needed to cry. And historically, whenever my body tells me I need to cry, I will bury it. And or if I try to cry, I won't be able to. Like it just, mm-hmm. it does not happen. I've, <laughs> I've literally before sat down somewhere and like faked crying hmm. until I could yeah. actually cry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but this time I sensed it coming and I, so I grabbed some tissues. I walked into the men's bathroom because there's only at most three other men that work in my office. And half the time, one or the other two are not there. So usually I'm the other one using the men's bathroom at work. So I knew it was going to be, you know. No one's going to be in there. <laughs> it was a safe place. <laughs> it was. It was a safe place. Wow. So I walked in, and I just kind of sat there, and I cried for a good 15 minutes. Um, and then, after that, I made it a point. I talked to the president of the company 
about like what I was feeling hmm. and what had just happened. And then I talked to my boss about it as well. And so the crying, the conversations I then had with the president and my supervisor about my mental and emotional state that day were me being more than just authentic. There were risks I took um, to show some vulnerability, you yeah. know? And so like practically beyond just the, the questions I'll throw at people, those are some of the new things I've started doing to, to try to, to be more vulnerable right? yeah. and to show up as fully myself, yeah. you know, whenever I can. That's tough, especially in the workplace. Yes. Especially in the workplace. Yes, it is. Yeah. And in some places that wouldn't be thinkable. Like it wouldn't. <laughs> yes. I, I'm not even recommending everyone try that because that, yeah. that literally could cost people their jobs. That, yeah, that could cost you a job. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So are there places for you, though, where you might envision adding that extra layer of vulnerability or... or oh, man. You know... Yeah, so honestly, I'm sure that we can both agree to this. Maybe, maybe not. But I think that we should preface it by saying like, you know, obviously you want to be with trustworthy people. Yes. And you shouldn't hold them to like, oh, yeah, you got to be my friend for a year in order for me to continue trustworthy. Um, There are some people, you know, let's just say in the corporate world as a whole, there are some people who are literally out to get you out of their job, out of your job so that they can have it. You know, there's, I hate to say it, but there's people out there like that. So obviously be careful and make sure that these people are trustworthy mm-hmm. when you have these conversations. But yeah, I would, I would start with the workplace. Hmm. Um, even for me, I've known every single position that I've been in. I pretty, I've been pretty corporate mm-hmm. my whole life mm-hmm. as non-corporate as I want to be. <laughs> um, so yeah, the corporate workplace and I'm kind of stepping into that now. I've always kind of dabbled in the water. Um, but we talked about this a little bit. I'm starting up the diversity and inclusion, uh, kind of thing at my current space mm-hmm. and just so you guys know i work completely in the tech space if you know anything about the tech space or indiana <laughs> you know it's not very diverse um so i actually felt and this is not a thing that i typically ever do i'm all about volunteering so wherever i go i do some kind of volunteering initiative but it's never about diversity and inclusion um you know, something I can probably speak to a little bit, but I've never felt that I was the person to speak up about it until this situation. I felt like it was something literally that I almost had to do. Mm. And not even like, oh, I have to do this for me. It was like, I have to do this for the space. Mm. You know, I, if we're calling it like it is, like there's predominantly white, probably 95% on the on the very low end. Yeah. I have to do this for all the white people who don't know how to address people like myself mm. who, ha- who know how to include me or someone with a disability or someone mm. who might be bi, gay. Like there's a mm. lot of different diversity and inclusion topics out there mm. and they literally don't know how to address it or how to uh, even spark diversity mm. just because of the space that they're in. So yeah. um, I started to, you know, put myself out there, unfortunately, as the token black guy almost, you know, like, hey, I'm going to lead this charge so that, you know, we can have this inclusive space and we can learn more about each other. Yeah. Um, and for me, that felt very vulnerable because what am I supposed to do? Of course, I'm supposed to be the black guy who is leading the charge on diversity and inclusion. But, you know, if you get to know me, you know, that's not who I am. Yeah. You know, I'm not the guy who's like, hey, like, we need to get more black people in here. We need to get more colored people. Like, right, that's not right. what this is about at all. Right. But I'm sure from an outsider's perspective, that's exactly what it looks like. Mm. Yeah. Man, so what what has that experience been like? I mean, what's the reception been so far to that? 
Um, we had like a little panel discussion. Um, mm-hmm. Luckily, my job is is all gung ho for it. Okay. Um, I talked to the person who does all of our events, uh, HR, pretty much, and we were able to get like a lunch and learn immediately. Mm-hmm. The reception from that lunch and learn, the people that were there in the short amount of time was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so my company is all for it. When it comes to the indie scene, I don't know how that's gonna tick off just okay. yet. You know, yeah. that's something I'm still trying to navigate. I have a feeling I'm gonna have to do some marketing behind it, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm still trying to stomach like, all right, you're taking this on, like, because of something very serious. Like, yeah. I'm not even just thinking about, oh, we need more black people in this space because they don't know about it. There's, you know, I can think I can say this freely, but there's people there with disabilities, mm-hmm. you know, at my company who yeah. have the exact same thought process yeah. when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Mm. You know, so mm. somebody like that who's you know, not willing to step out there that I'm helping, mm-hmm. you know, and they come to me about this stuff nowadays, like, thank you so much. And I haven't even done anything yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's powerful. And sometimes uh, I, I always believe it just takes one voice to kind of step up and start pushing back or saying something and then mm-hmm. other people are inspired to do so. Mm-hmm. Other times they're not. I've been that lone <laughs> voice before. Uh, and, and it's not a comfortable space to be, but. Yeah. And I might be for a while. I think that people are coming to me about it, but when it comes to actually making a movement Mm -hmm. uh, i think i'll be that for a while yeah that's what i'm trying to stomach (laughs) yep it's hard you got to be willing to to shoulder that burden and it can be draining Mm -hmm. you know and frustrating and and lonely um but every movement ever has had those people yeah like it we just have to be at times um as you were talking i was thinking about my experience uh as a biracial and black man and and i was having a conversation with a friend this morning about places we can't show up fully Mm. right like we know we can put on a certain (laughs) face somewhere and Mm -hmm. get along with people but there are very few spaces and places that i can bring all of me into um comfortably comfortably yep yes knowing that even if they don't agree with the part i offer Mm -hmm. it's still going to be held and loved you know what i mean uh, and, and so I wonder what that experience has been like for you. Are, are you able to name places where you feel you can bring all of yourself comfortably? And, and how do you manage what to hold back and what to what to offer, especially in the corporate world? You're saying you want me to name places that I can't? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying are there places you're aware of that you can? We just talked about people losing their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get this man in the nonprofit world. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, well, and that I can. Yeah. That you can. And then, how do you decide what you hold back in like the corporate world, for instance? Yeah. So I'll be honest with you. Um, I'll be honest. I feel like it's truly very rare. Mm-hmm. I can't. I do not identify as a biracial because I'm clearly not. <laughs> but <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but the mental state is almost there, and that's simply uh-huh. because. If you look at, you know, my life, yeah. and you know this, I literally am the black guy who played tennis. Yep. You know, in pretty much every space I've been in, it's been some something similar to that. Yeah. You know, like right now, I'm literally the only black guy out of 60 people who work for my company, mm. you know? And I may have been the only one, you know, fully black that has ever worked for, mm-hmm. you know, or fully anything that's worked for my company. I'm probably one, let's just say there's five companies you know, my size or whatever in, in the space, there may be five others, mm. you know, yeah. out of these 60 to 150 person companies. Yeah. Um, so I've always kind of been that guy from Gary, Indiana, mm. that plays tennis, you know, Man. fully black yeah. and then doing the whitest thing ever. 
<laughs> so, so I can't I can't honestly say there's ever spaces where I walk into. I worked at a basketball gym before this, where yeah. I'm supposed to be at home, but I was a tennis player in there when it really came down to it. You know, mm-hmm. I was the manager. Yes, you knew how to do everything. You're the business guy. Blah blah blah. Head honcho. Um, but yeah, like you can hop on the court and play with us, but at the end of the day, like you didn't play at our level. You're, sure. You're the tennis guy. Yep. You know. Yep. So no matter where I go, I honestly kind of kind of get some of that and yeah. i i feel comfortable in that because i feel like that's exactly who i am not okay. necessarily the black guy who plays tennis but i'm the guy who has both sides of life mm-hmm. and i i love it you mm-hmm. know like i i kind of thrive in that 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 environment because i love to show people like it's possible to do both mm-hmm. and that's exactly what my mm-hmm. nonprofit is about is it's possible to be in both spaces mm-hmm. that's so interesting i'm contrasting that with my experience um whereas being biracial it feels like you're almost expected not just to do both but to to breathe the bridge mm-hmm. right yeah um and and what it's been like for me to push back against that um because frankly people don't really need a bridge right we need a ladder to lift other folks up we hmm. need hmm. You know, the, the the, the bridge metaphor is just busted. Um, <laughs> love to have a conversation about love that. It. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and so, 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 yeah, and I, I've heard uh, black women especially say uh, something similar. They There's a post on LinkedIn the other day where a black woman said, if you want to hire or attract more black women and women of color, then stop expecting us to be the bridge, right? Stop yeah. expecting us to translate for you. Um and so I'm wondering if, if you, as you've been in this world of, of, of kind of doing both, have you felt like there's been an expectation on you to translate for um, the minority culture, to translate for whatever culture is not represented in that space that yeah. you represent? Yeah. It's odd that you say the minority culture because me, when I'm looking inside, I'm like, oh, yeah, the black people. But it really is the minority culture mm-hmm. at the end of the day, yeah. <laughs> which is sad. But, um, yeah, so I, I can't hop on your latter statement just mm-hmm. yet. I definitely understand and somewhat agree with what you're saying yeah but i think there is a bridge okay and i only say there's a bridge because there's a knowledge gap on both sides like that's all it is mm-hmm. um so like i don't know what what you mean by the latter but i would assume it's something economic that we need to be pulled up from mm-hmm. and on their side um you know it could be something cultural that they need to be pulled up from mm. they might not understand other people mm-hmm. they may under- understand their family and what their people do. Yeah. And until you understand both, then like nothing matters. Yeah. Because yes, you could just congregate with your group of people, but then what kind of quality of life do you truly have? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. At least that's my opinion. Yeah. So I think there's literally just a knowledge gap on both sides. Mm. Maybe one, one side obviously lives a little bit better because they have a nicer house and stuff like that, but that's all perspective. Because I know a lot of of my family who live in Gary, Indiana and love their life. Mm-hmm. Love the people they hang out with. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I think the reason I push back against the bridge idea is um, because it assumes a an imagined um, level playing field. Like, like you don't usually see bridges that connect an area that is uh, a thousand feet above sea level and an area that is 500 feet above sea level, right? That'd be a really difficult bridge mm-hmm. to scale. Typically bridges are built on relatively even surfaces. Um, but the way that the system, especially in the U.S., has been set up, if you are uh, a person with that's differently abled, if you are a person um, of color, if you are a woman, if you are a member of the LGBTQIA community, if you're a religious minority, um, 
all these um, demographic factors and, and variables make it so that it, you're, you're not quite on equal playing field. It's not on an equal playing surface. Um, and especially if you're a person of color, I think there's mindset work that has happened, right? And so, so people of color um, historically have been taught to, to hate themselves, have been taught to not see the value in their skin color, in their culture, in their heritage. Um, and white people have been taught the same way to, to, to uplift this monolithic thing that is whiteness, which doesn't exist, by the way, um, and to, to downgrade anything that is against whiteness, any culture that uh, doesn't represent English Protestant um, kind of patriarchal society. And so, so I, I push back against the bridge because I think we need to at least acknowledge um, the latent inequality and and the the invisible forces that hold people back and this this bridge metaphor doesn't really speak mm -hmm. to that hundred percent you know what is uh what is let's just say the black culture mm -hmm. what does the black culture have to offer the world hmm man everything like I think. Uh, when I think about blackness, I think about resilience. I think about strength. I think about beauty and richness. Uh, I think about creation um, and and deep wisdom. And, and some of these same things can be said about virtually any other culture, uh, I'm sure. So they're not necessarily unique to the black culture. But when I look back at uh, the colonialism, uh, slavery, uh, Jim Crow, segregation, all these systems that have been instituted to destroy the black psyche and black bodies. And still, not only do black bodies and black psyches exist, not only are they strong, um, not only do they thrive, but they have also given back to the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, And so that's why I would name those qualities uh, specifically for a black culture and for people in the African diaspora. Yeah, so I agree with you 100%. And the reason that I'm still kind of on the bridge is because... Um, how we look at it, which is very true, is white people mm -hmm. have the economic power. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's very in stone. Yeah. You know, that's not something that we have. Um, but when it comes to our culture, we have, like, culture is the best way that I can put it. The resiliency that mm -hmm. you're talking about. Like, you know, this mm -hmm. place was built on the things that we were able to do yeah. and think of and create, yeah. just like you said. So all we have to do, like, I think that my EQ is the only reason I'm on both sides. Hmm. There's nothing else that separates me from the black culture other than my EQ to know that, like, yes, these people own everything. But all I have to do is learn what they know. Hmm. So I don't have to be one of them at all. My family's not going to change. Hmm. My dad's not going to change. My mom's not going to change. Sister, none of that will change. Simply my perspective on, hey, I learned from you. Keep my culture. And... We can offer something. We can both offer something on this bridge. Yeah. If, if I'm looking at you, here's another issue I have with it. If I'm looking at you as in you got to pull me up the ladder, that means that I can't get up the ladder at all by myself. Mm -hmm. No matter what knowledge I have, no matter what resources I have, like I need you to help me up the ladder. Yeah. Um, if my parents can't help me up the ladder, then I'm not sure if anybody else can like truly pull me up the ladder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that. Um, and if we have more time, I would dive even deeper into this idea of just learning what uh, they have to offer. Because I'm thinking of a friend of mine, Chase Tibbs. He's got a podcast called um, Faith and Capital. And I think he would argue that, no, actually, uh, we don't want to learn what they have to offer because it's that knowledge that has corrupted and created the hmm. inequality that exists already, right? So we have to imagine something different. Hmm. Um but we don't have time to delve into that uh, 
maybe for a later date. Oh, 100%, yeah. Um, so as, you, as, as we wrap up here, um, I like to leave people with one or two thoughts, ideas, or practices that they can take with them uh, throughout the week to really bring home and continue to reflect upon the themes that we discussed in each episode. And so as we think about um, belonging, as we think about showing up authentic, authentically as we think about um, transparency versus vulnerability um, what would you offer the the listeners today to help them to continue to reflect on some of those themes and, and incorporate them into their lives throughout the week um, identity I'm reading a book right now called I am um, I don't want to give a shameless plug can I give a plug to that yeah go for it is that cool yeah right. um, it's this guy named Howard Falco <clears throat> someone recommended to me for my nonprofit because of the work I'm doing with that. But um, it's really getting into the identity of who you are. It talks a lot about where you come from, your past experiences, and how really your perspective on who you are shapes who you are. All of this stuff is developed from your past. You know, there's some stuff like studies even about your genes. Obviously your parents are training you a certain way. And then things that you go through all throughout your life that creates this constant perspective of who you are. Um, and until we like start to think about the positives, like think about like a scale, you mm -hmm. know, like if you're told as a child, like, um, you know, you aren't good enough a certain amount of times. And that's that's where you start. You start to look at the scale to 100 percent to 0 percent. You start to look at yourself at like 20 percent. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm probably not good enough everywhere you go then you're like oh yeah i'm probably only 20 percent of whatever 100 is yeah um but if you start to look at yourself like all right you know i'm doing this to get better maybe if that's going to help you out mm -hmm. or hey i'm actually better than i actually think i am mm. but pretty much like start thinking about the perspective that you have on yourself and how you identify yourself because mm. that's what ends up manifesting mm. you know yeah that's good thank you for for sharing that man um if people want to follow you and, and connect with you on social media, how would they do that? Best way is uh, Instagram. I try my best to stay off of there. I literally just send memes back and forth to Ben <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> I look on for maybe five minutes, you know, check my messages, get back off, and that's pretty much it. But uh, yeah, Leonard's Lens, L-E-O-N-A-R-D-S, Lens, L-E-N-S, and then Leonard Matthews on on Facebook, Matthews at one T. Awesome. Thanks, bro. It's been good having you on. Yes, sir. Thank you. And bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to episode 18 of the Invisible Truths podcast. To learn more information about Leonard and the work that he's doing with Peace Movement, please check out the links in the episode description. And I'm excited to announce that my Patreon has officially launched. So if you are curious about ways to support my work more directly, then check out my Patreon. You can find the link in the episode description as well. There are three different monthly tiers of support, and each tier gains you access to an exclusive range of benefits that can be a one-time thank you note, all the way up to exclusive video conversations that I have with each guest on very random topics, or even a monthly resource guide that is going to provide information on topics of your choosing, like exploring spirituality, transracial adoptions, or even tips for combating supremacy. 
And so if you'd like to gain access to those benefits and more and are interested in supporting me in more direct ways in the work that I'm doing, please click on the link in the episode description, visit my Patreon page, and consider becoming a monthly subscriber and patron. Thank you so much for the support you've already given me and for the personal work that you're doing to keep this Invisible Truths movement going. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Invisible Truths podcast. Until next week, I'm Ben Tapper.